0: Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome to Explore the Space, episode number 130. My guest in this episode is General Mark Hurtling. And General Hurtling joined me on Explore the Space a few months ago. You can listen to that one, episode 94. And it was the start of what is turning into an amazing conversation around leadership as it applies to physicians, leadership as it applies to leaders in medicine, but also just leadership in general. We know that leadership is leadership, regardless of specialty or profession. This conversation is a really fun one. You can listen to episode 94 in advance of this one, but this episode also is a wonderful standalone. We go deep on character and resilience, and we get into a subject that for me is a little bit fraught, this idea of resiliency and burnout, especially as it pertains to physicians. And so we help tease this issue out a little bit. It's just a fantastic conversation. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Before we get to the show, just want to remind everybody, please check out the website, www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can find the whole archive there. Obviously, episode 94 with Mark is there. And I would encourage you to go and take a look around. There's amazing content on leadership and all sorts of other subjects in the archive. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show. We're on Instagram at Show. Please email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. I love to get listener feedback and ideas and opinions. You can also share those with me on social media. Please take an opportunity to subscribe to Explore the Space. We're on all your favorite podcast platforms. Subscribing, make sure that all of the great content that we've got coming your way gets to you so you don't miss out on anything. And also, please take the opportunity to leave us a rating and a review. Really helps the show out. So without further ado, Mark Hurtling. Mark, welcome back to Explore the Space. It is wonderful to have you back on the show. It is great
1: to be back with you, Mark. I've, I've really enjoyed not only uh, the feedback from our first show, but also knowing you a little bit better, watching you engage with physicians throughout the ecosystem of the Twitter sphere and how you're getting so much responses from them on a variety of subjects. I've learned a lot from just reading uh, those posts.
0: I appreciate you saying that. That's a really nice compliment and I will will accept that. I'm actually – I really am having a lot of fun on social media. Um, Yeah. I would imagine for you the arc was similar, transitioning from the military to doing the work that you're doing in physician leadership and physician education but also doing a lot of media yourself to kind of figure out – what voice do you want to use? What sort of subject matter do you want to build on? What things do you need to learn a little bit more about to be able to engage effectively? And that's a that's a fun journey to go on. It's 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 it. You really get to immerse yourself in in new in new ideas and new communication strategies, and it's very gratifying when things resonate. You can tell when they do, and that that's fun.
1: Yeah, and and what I enjoy about reading your post. Uh, it's something I try and do. I, I sometimes don't always succeed, but there's a requirement, I think, when you're engaging with people to uh, perhaps spur them on or, or, or help them in their own professional and personal development. Uh, there's a requirement to continuously be positive, and and I see that in the Explore the Space uh, feeds that you have, that there are a lot of different inputs from All kinds of diverse people and, you know, very interesting specialties within healthcare that are talking to you about things. And and everything I see in your responses is is very uh, humble and positive and reinforcing. And I think that's important, especially in a space like Twitter or some of the other social media sites when you're really not sure sometimes who you're engaging with and what their personalities
0: are. That again is incredibly kind of you, uh, and and I will accept those compliments. <laughs> I, I think it, I think it is important, just like with anything else, that we are mindful of how we present ourselves. I you wade into much more controversial waters sometimes than I do, and your audience is considerably larger. I follow your thread as well, and I learn a tremendous amount as well. What I have found is the ecosystem of what we like to call hashtag med Twitter, basically where a lot of docs and nurses and executives that are in the healthcare environment congregate in social media. The, the tempo and the tone is gen, is generally fairly positive. And if it's not, it tends to get called out. There's enough negativity and browbeating that happens at work that I think if people come to that space to engage in a chat or to do some education or to learn that they, they're in a place of wanting to gain some positivity Um, and also in our culture we know that that's really important and we can't tolerate disruptive behavior and we need to coach and teach each other to avoid it. There was actually a paper that just came out in the surgical literature that disruptive behavior in the OR leads to increased mortality and increased surgical complications. Absolutely. So and and that's not a surprise but when you can validate it. So for but but watching your your interactions and, and reflecting on the same things that you said you you have a an audience that comes at you hard. And I will return a compliment to you that I think that you're able to engage, deflect, but also hold your ground in a way that shows a lot of integrity. It shows a lot of thought. You don't give responses that come off like you're just throwing punches, which given some of the things I've seen people write to you, I could imagine you'd feel like you (laughs) might want to. And so that's also part of the art of engaging on this new platform of social media, for sure,
1: it it really is. And and in fact, a good friend of mine uh, wrote a book. Uh, a good friend, also fellow military uh, veteran, uh, in fact, the highest military veteran that that I know, uh, General Marty Dempsey, who was at one time chairman of the Joint Chiefs, wrote a book called Radical Inclusion. And what he talks about in that book is how in in the new world of leadership. Diversity is critically important for getting the best ideas forward. And how do we force ourselves as leaders to include people with different mindsets? Uh, A very interesting book. He wrote it. Here he is, a former chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and he wrote it with a guy by the name of Ori Brothman, who's a professor and somewhat of a uh, far left winger out in uh, California at a university there. So you, you talk about two very dissimilar people uh, from a background perspective, putting together some ideas on uh, what the next generation needs in terms of building solid organizations through, through good leadership that understands diversity and how to include people of different mindsets. And that's what we're talking about. Really. I mean, you're, you're talking about in the med sphere, the medical sphere, uh, people of different cults and cultures and tribes. And, and the same thing is true with me working sometimes in the political sphere as with my job, uh, as a military analyst on CNN, because you're dealing with a a lot of different cultures and, and ends of the spectrum, um, and we have to get back to the point, in my view, where it shouldn't be my view versus your view. It's how do you get the best view and how do you get the best ideas to move forward as a society? We're, I think both of us are working in that area, uh, you in the medical sphere, me
0: sometimes in the political and military sphere. I would agree with that. And I think we can pull some of these buzzwords that you and I have both used together inclusivity, humility, integrity, positivity, right? All of these sorts of terms, we can probably pull those together in a bundle. And I think this would be a good place for you and I to pick up from where we were with our conversation last time. For me, putting those terms into a bundle and putting these ways that, you know, we're we are perceived and we perceive others into a bundle, I think it's important for us to recognize we're talking about someone's character. We're yeah. talking about the the DNA. We're talking about the connective tissue. We're talking about the infrastructure that allows somebody to lead, or maybe not necessarily allows, but defines somebody's leadership style. Does that make sense? Am I am I summarizing that in a way that makes sense to you, or is that is that is that sort of a forced analogy? What's your take?
1: No, well, not not at all. In fact, the word character uh, as as I based our leader development course on that we established uh, for physicians, uh, I based it on what I was taught in the military from the standpoint of how to be a good leader. And the first thing, the first three things you define in leadership, and I think we talked a little bit about this in our last conversation, uh, are the the three attributes of character, presence, and intellect. Character is the most important. It's who you are. It's the, the sense of your values your combined with your background, with your personal mission statement, with your organization's mission statement, uh, all the things that are your convictions, uh, your vision for the future, all the things that you believe, uh, your true values to your culture that all contribute to a sense of conviction and who you are. And what's interesting from the standpoint of assessing leadership and what leaders maintain is that who you are and a true understanding of, of what you do and the reflection of your sense of self that you really have to get a hold of until you, before you can move forward and try and lead others. You, you can't lead others until you understand how to lead yourself and how to build your own sense of character and your convictions. And that's, you know, it's one of the things we focus on in our physician class is what are your values? What is your personal mission statement? Do you understand your background and your cultures and and, and the things that you believe? And maybe the things that you may believe that might not be right and that you have to adjust and polish a little bit. So all of those things contribute to uh, uh, maintaining the courage of convictions and the understanding of who you are and the sense of values that you have. Would
0: you feel like that that individual assessment of one's character and using it and and being able to have it be forward-facing so that they can be an effective leader, that sounds like when you say it out loud and I'm listening to you, it sounds like, man, that's really hard work to do and that would take a lifetime to do. And that's true because I feel like it could be sort of an amorphous, ever-developing, constantly changing thing. But we also know that people can enter into leadership and be very effective leaders at a young age or right. at any part of their lifespan. That it's not like if you don't do it by the time you're 40, it ain't going to happen. So that that's sort of – that's not a necessarily a mismatch. But how does one feel ready? How does one craft – not ah, crap, that's the wrong word to use because you're not, this isn't, this isn't something that you get to put forward as a facade, but how does one know when their when their character is, is ready?
1: <laughs> well, that, that's the interesting thing because it's not only a self-reflection, yeah. continuous attempt at learning, but it gets into that second attribute I mentioned a minute ago, which is the presence. And, and that is how do other people see you? What feedback are you getting from others uh, that you either trust or that you forced <laughs> to provide to force to provide you with the feedback so you can determine is who I think I am, who I really am or am I kidding myself? And it it really does take a, a requirement to sometimes be uncomfortable and to put yourself in a vulnerable position to figure out is who you're representing, really what other people are seeing. And that's the second part of leadership development. And, and you mentioned something a minute ago, Mark. You said, you know, is it, this, this is hard because you can start off as a good leader and then you have to develop more. Yeah. And, and what I'll say and what I, what I tell our doctors in the class is write this down because it's the most important lesson of all. Leadership is hard. Yeah. And, it takes, yeah. and it takes constant work. Yeah. It's not something you can just say, well, gee, I'm a great leader now. Uh, therefore, forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to be a great leader. <laughs> right. It, it is. It is something that if you're not working on it every day and this sound I mean, this sounds so trite and fluffy, you know, but if you're not working on it every day through really understanding other people, really looking inside yourself and having the courage to look inside yourself. Having the humility to know that, hey, I can change and I don't always have to be perfect because I'm not. Uh, and, and how do I get other people to, to really love me enough, if I can use that phrase, to give me positive feedback or critiques that can help me be better? If you don't have an individual giving you that as a leader, you're not going to grow you have to find people who are not the sycophants who will tell you the things you want to hear, but they will tell you, hey, you're not doing this so well, or you're not coming off the way you think you are. People are perceiving you differently. Um, Then you're not going to grow in the role as a leader. The the other thing I want to stress of something you said, too, that I think is important. Yeah, somebody can start off uh, as a very good leader and then figure out that as they evolve and as they're giving more tasks and requirements, that sometimes they're not as good a leader as they thought they were. Well, that goes back to the character issue. Um, you can always return to your values and your true convictions, and and determine whether or not they are addressing an increasingly complex challenge that you might be faced with. You know, I, I tell the story of how I started out as a as a lieutenant in the army when I graduated from West Point and my first platoon was 19 soldiers. And I learned a whole lot. And boy, was that hard as a 22 year old leading those 19 tankers on the East German West German border. 40 years later, I go back commanding U S army Europe and now I've got 90,000 people in the middle of Europe. The challenges and complexities are a whole lot tougher. And in that interim period, I think I developed my character through positive reflection, but also a lot of negative scar tissue that I learned from. That's what leaders do.
0: In that evolution, though, that you just described, and I can I can visualize you know the the nineteen people pretty well. Um, you know the leadership opportunities I've had. It's been you know leading groups of that size and a little bit larger. I don't know that I've gotten into the triple digits yet. Um, I guess, I guess now that's not, that's not a true statement with my medical group now, but the 90,000 in a time of war, that is a different proposition entirely. But I would imagine that when you're making decisions and you're taking on information and you're moving towards a goal, I'm going to bet that you have a central dogma or you have a series of checkpoints that you go through that guide that decision making so that you're doing, you know, you're doing it the same way and that you're staying faithful to something that's right. important. I'll share mine with you sure. and, and my teammates know this because they're, they hear it from me all the time. I learned this right out of the gate. The first job I took out of residency with Sharp, we medical group in San Diego. It's, it was, they, they, it's the number of times that I heard this over the 10 years I was with that wonderful group. Every decision you make, the patient is first, The team is second, the individual's third. If you follow that pathway, we're going to get where we need to go. And then for me, as a a leader, I tell my teammates and we talk about it and we don't – it's not just I tell them and we move on. It's what does this sound like to you when we meet and we onboard and have these conversations. When I first joined the team here several years ago, what does this sound like to you? Patient first, team second, individual third. And we would talk it through to make sure we had shared understanding. And then I can tell them, listen – When you make a decision, if you're following that pathway, I'm going to go to the mat for you. If you're not following that pathway or if I'm not following that pathway and we're making decisions, we're going to know that we're going sideways because Mm -hmm. we're agreeing that this is how we want to do our work and how we want to function in a hospital setting and as part of a team in in medicine. And I found it to be very effective. (laughs) Uh, I didn't invent it. I was, I was taught it, and I take a lot of pride in, in teaching it and continuing to use it. Do you have something similar as well that was forged in the crucible of being a young lieutenant in charge of 19 tankers up to commanding 90,000 men and women in uniform during a war that you can lean on?
1: Well, I, I'm going to jump on what you said. Because what you described in terms of the patient first is a direct reflection of a theory called servant leadership. And, and all professionals, if they're true to themselves and true to their profession, they have that patient first uh, mentality. And, and when I say that, there's there's a, a air quote around patient. Because if you're a member of the legal profession, your client is first. If you're a member of the ministry, another profession, then the, the member of your flock is first. If you're a soldier, your 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 subordinates are first. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. That's not quite true, because really, what's first from a soldier's perspective is your duty to the nation, your selfless service to the nation. So there's a complexity that faces all soldiers: do my soldiers come first, or does the mission come first? And truthfully, that's a dynamic that that we discuss and argue. And it changes in different circumstances. And in fact, Robert E. Lee, I think, once said that uh, you have to love the nation so much as a as a general. You have to love the nation so much that you're willing to give the thing you love as much as the nation, your soldiers. You're willing to sacrifice them in their defense. That's that's a tough call for a professional soldier to do when you're a leader. When you're in healthcare, and this is what's fascinated me about my new second career uh, working with doctors, is you have that patient-first requirement. It, It is part of your ethos, part of your values, part of your profession. But now we have a healthcare organization or a healthcare industry, if you will, that is requiring you also to meet... Uh, governmental requirements, insurance demands, uh, input from administrators within your hospital. So there's a lot of competing requirements on the doctor, which takes leadership to the next higher level. That That's when you get into the strategic leadership, because if you're dealing with patients every day, that's hard. But boy, let's deal with patients and also deal with administrators and government regulators and nurses and pharmaceutical suppliers and all those other things that impinge upon physicians. And all those things determine that you have to expand your view of how to lead. And that's what really is making the medical industry or the healthcare industry writ large so fascinating to me because. It's much harder being a doctor than it was being a general, in, in my view. You guys got it tough because you're you're dealing with more inputs, uh, but you still have that singular requirement of life and death for your patient.
0: I think that's a really astute point. And as you were saying it, I, I was thinking about exactly that and how that makes me feel when I'm working and when I'm seeing patients and when I'm leading teams and That is, that is part of some of the, the most central tension in the profession of medicine is that you don't, you go into this because you want to take care of patients. You want to do research that's going to impact outcomes. You want to be part of a high functioning community. You want to have satisfaction. You want to have meaning. A lot of those inputs that you described, and not all of the time, but sometimes they can really feel like they are detracting or distracting or pulling away from those central ideas. One can rely on their character to keep you on track. It's hard when you feel like you're doing it in spite of as opposed to alongside of. Does that make sense? Yeah, well –
1: yeah, and it, it does make sense. And that's why that self-reflection yeah. is co- so critically important. Because, you know, when, when you look at studies in different organizations, uh, most organizations will contend that failures are a result of disjointed management skills or the inability to manage large organizations. I don't believe that. I, I believe all failures uh, of a, from a leadership perspective is our failures of, of character going back to the initial point? Wow, you made. because if, if you can recenter yourself in every situation and do the right thing based on how you've self reflected, and if you continue with your values, and especially if you're a professional in a field like medicine or the ministry or law or the military, if you continue to reposition yourself through self reflection to be centered. The the management stuff is easy to learn. It's the failure of character that will be catastrophic in any organization. That's my view. That's my contention. And And yet what I'd say too is as we train people to be leaders, most training centers on management skills versus an understanding of character and values. And I I think we get it wrong from a society. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing
0: from you is you want us to be driving in a different direction as we're training and developing and also doing our ongoing learning around leadership. And it's more around that idea of self-reflection and where am I as a, as a person with my leadership techniques, styles, successes, and failures, as opposed to Learning the management and things like that—that's what I'm hearing from you.
1: Yeah, and, and and character really comes back to two big things yeah. from a professional standpoint, and that's humility. Yeah, being willing to take others' input, which that's what you do so well on on the on the ETS uh, feed that I see, but also the ability to be courageous to stand up against the wrong, and, yeah. and that that doesn't always take. Spitting in somebody's face, right? It, it, leadership really is how do you influence other people, and that can be in
0: a in a positive way, or you can be very uncivil about it. I, I kind of like the positive way better. I agree with you. There's there's a a surgeon who I knew just a little bit when I was a medical student. Her name is Mary Brant, and she is a pediatric surgeon at Texas Children's in Houston. And she came on the show several months ago. She's just an extraordinary leader. And she had a comment a few months ago where somebody inquired around advocacy on social media and stand, I think it was sort of around standing up for yourself. And she basically just said, don't be rude and don't be a wimp. Yeah. And I, Mary's just incredible. And two sentences, right? We can, you and I, or not, you could probably do it better than I could. But 10, 12 words that just summarize everything. <laughs> it's just it's well, so it's so effective. It's so great.
1: I, I'd add one more thing from a social media standpoint. Yeah. Don't be rude. Don't be a wimp. Uh, two two more things. Don't be rude. Don't be a wimp. Stand up for what you believe in. And remember that your mother might be reading. What
0: that's, you're right. that's right.
1: That's right. That's
0: <laughs> right. Totally agree with you. Can I add another term, and I want to discuss this one with you, to this sort of character character milieu, and mm-hmm. that term is resiliency. Yeah. And it's a term that's come up on the podcast before. I had a really interesting conversation around it with a physician who is training to be a, an astronaut, Shauna Pandya, and we talked about this idea of resiliency. But when I see in discourse around physician education and leadership development, as well as under the subject header of burnout- That physicians need to be more resilient. And I'm being very specific about how those words are used. Not that physicians are not resilient. It's that physicians need to be more resilient. I'm going to be very honest with you, Mark. That does make me feel angry. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, I feel like we are very resilient as a group. We are able to handle tremendous amounts. We're able to do it when we're tired. We're able to do it by pushing away distractions. We are resilient. That yeah, I, no, I that can agree. continue to grow uh, I would as most well. certainly
1: agree. And I think if you define – if you attempt to define resiliency, you're going to have problems.
0: That's a good Does point. Does
1: that mean you can handle more things yeah. without stress? Does it mean that you don't go off the deep end and get upset with people? I, I don't know what resiliency means other than that,
0: that you can handle things. So you're going this, way I, further upstream is, and we're going to debate the, even just the definition of resiliency and I like that.
1: Yeah, but, but I mean, it gets back to the point of what we talked about before, which is being centered. Yeah. The returning to your character. If you can do that, okay. Now I'm going to tell you a story, and and you know, podcasts are supposed to be exchanges. But I'll tell you this quick story. No, no, the
0: Mark Hurtling stories are highly sought after. Do it.
1: (laughs) Well, as you know, I just uh, as a as a real old guy, I just finished my doctor in business administration, so I'm now a doctorate. Congratulations, yes. Doctor General or whatever you want to call me. I'd rather you call me Mark. But um, as part of my study, what I did is two things. I took two classes, a hospital in the Midwest uh, asked me to teach the leadership course. And I said, I'll do that if you allow me to break it down into two classes, one with all physicians, and one with a mix of physicians, administrators, and nurses. And the reason I did that is because I wanted to test the theory of fault lines, of how do you bring groups together to solve problems that are seemingly unsolvable, when it's not a solitary culture. If you expand the culture, will it help you improve in terms of leadership? I I know that's a little confusing. So I I laid this out to the the CMO and the CEO at this hospital, and they said, yeah, we'd like you to do it. So I had two uh, 50-person groups, one all doctors of different specialties, the other one a mix of 35 physicians, 10 uh, nurses, and five administrators. Taught the exact same course, measured their pre- and uh, post-tests, gave them pre- and post-test surveys on their perception of themselves as leaders before and after the course. But I also asked them to give me a colleague physician that was not in the course, a nurse that was not in the course, and their spouse or partner that uh, observed them. So I wanted to get not only how they felt they had changed, but their observable changes In the three areas of leadership attributes, methods of communication, and information exchange on teams. So that was my theory. Uh, As I pitched this to the hospital, the chief medical officer said, you know, we've been having some real problems with physician burnout at our organization. And he said, I'm wondering if you could throw in a couple of survey questions on burnout or resiliency. (laughs) <laughs> my initial response was, no, I really don't want to because that's outside my my thesis and outside my study. But of course, sure, I will. Well, uh, I wasn't planning on uh, delving into that. Uh, my my study found some fascinating things. First of all, both courses improved in their perceived leadership skills in those three areas of attributes, communication, and information exchange. The group of mixed physicians uh, in the group uh, improved in terms of how they were observed uh, or their measures of observation by nurses and partners. So in their team life and their home life, they improved dramatically in the mixed group. Uh, the, the, The doctor observation of Positions in the courses stayed about the same for both groups. But what was fascinating was the burnout scales decreased, declined significantly. And I didn't talk about burnout or resiliency or any of that at all during the six month course that I taught. So when I showed this to my thesis advisor, I said, I'm getting some really weird results and I don't understand what they are. Having to do with burnout, you know, and I showed her the, the charts and the graphs and the analysis and she was as fascinated. The dean of our business school, whose doctor was, whose, I'm sorry, whose father was a doctor and who experienced burnout was also fascinated by the results because there seemed to be no correlation between anything I was teaching versus a reduction in burnout. What I've concluded from that, Mark, and I may be dead wrong but I think the focus on character and values in the leadership course and the requirement to center yourself as an element of leading yourself contributes to an understanding of who you are and that improves your, and I'll use the term resiliency, but it also decreases your level of burnout, the, the qualitative feedback, because this, this was a mixed study of both quantitative and qualitative results, the qualitative feedback from both groups told me exactly that. They had a better understanding of their role of physicians. They knew how they had to work as members of a team within their hospital. They wouldn't be as frustrated in the future because they felt like they were communicating better and passing information better and forcing their others teammates, the administrators and the nurses to communicate better and pass information better. So I'm convinced that a reduction in burnout might be attributed to understanding yourself and
0: what you're doing at a higher level. How's that for a story? I love it. I love it. It's a lot to unpack. It it is. And so I want to start in two places. One of them is the conclusion uh, makes makes great sense and we know that right now we are looking actively to fill the toolbox for strategies for healthcare professionals physicians to mitigate the 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 pressures and the stressors of the career so that we can avoid burnout, so that we can have a sustainable profession, so that we don't have people leaving the workforce, so that we see a rapid decrease towards zero of physician suicide. Right. All of these things are vital. And so hearing you doing that work and seeing those results, when you weren't even necessarily driving towards that point, I find very, very satisfying and exhilarating. It It also reminds me, though, we are unsophisticated. For me, the terms burnout and resiliency applied in this question in healthcare. And I, I might suggest in a lot of other professions too. Those are really blunt instruments. That's a, they're very high level terms. And like you said a few minutes ago, we've lost track of what the definition is and the definition is different for different people. Yeah. The, the juxtaposition of burnout and resiliency, I don't like it. <laughs> Yeah, to well, me, they have nothing to do with each other. I don't burn out because I'm because I have a lack of resiliency. If anything, it's because I'm too resilient. And I, right,
1: and and that's a very good point. Uh, and what's interesting for me is in preparing this study, I had to do a lot of research and yes. and found that there was a great team of researchers, uh, academicians, yeah, uh, by the name of uh, Maslach, who defined what burnout was, yes. and it's 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 prevalent in any profession that engages one on one man what what more intense one on one engagements do you have than when you're a physician so the requirement to engage with individuals who you don't think are accepting of your expertise the continual frustration of overwork the feeling that you're not trusted by the people that you work with And the frustrations of your work environment all contribute to burnout. Now, and I agree with you when you say if you're resilient, does that mean you can overcome each one of those four areas that contribute to burnout? I don't think so. I just think those four areas are going to wear, wear you down. Yeah. Yeah. And, And just, you know, you can be resilient and still burn out, but if you can overcome, uh, the lack of trust, uh, if, if, if you know how to communicate and you you know how you can get through to other people, if you're feeding information and getting fed information that help help you have a better understanding, so you can understand the 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 previous we they relationships that we find in healthcare between administrators and doctors and doctors and nurses. Uh, if you can overcome that and become more of a team, you tend to enjoy your environment a little bit more, work together to solve problems and
0: overcome the burnout that you might experience because you're frustrated. This is going to be ongoing work. Uh, well, this is going to be, I, I'm not trying let me, let me, let me walk that back. Cause I don't want to sound like I'm some sage recognizing we need to pay attention to burnout and resiliency. And we know that, <laughs> that, yeah. is, that is, that's is a road well traveled, but, but we need to make sure we stay on the right path. I like the idea that we have outside voices sharing ideas and observations. I think just like we talked about at the very beginning, right? Bringing in a diversity of views. You know, your 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 friend and colleague, General Dempsey, writing that book, a book that was very influential for me, actually, when I was a resident, Dor- uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin's Team of Rivals about Abraham Lincoln and how he created his cabinet. These sorts of things really are going to help us inform the right definitions and then the right missions. I want to circle back to something that you said in the first episode. You've said it on social media and you said it again today too. And I don't get – I don't get that you are someone who says anything that you don't mean. I don't get the sense that you're ever disingenuous. And you've said several different times that you feel like working in healthcare and working as a physician is harder than your Mm -hmm. previous career as Mm -hmm. an officer in in an armored division and and as an officer in a time of war I want to. Can we explore that a little bit? I, I I hear that, and and all of the imposter syndrome alarms start to go off. You know, I, I, that I have a hard time reconciling that. I'll be honest well, with you.
1: Let me, let me caveat a little yeah. bit. Being a soldier is more dangerous than being a doctor. Yes, <laughs> I mean yes. the sense of life and death and yes. being threatened is certainly more acute. Yes, but w- the reason I say being a a physician uh, is is tougher. It's because you face the life and death, you're the contributor to life and death situations, but there are so many people and so many things influencing the way you do life and death. And, you know, as a, as a soldier, as a, as a three-star general commanding forces in Europe, I was influenced by my boss, a Navy Admiral, uh, but he had the same culture as I did from a military perspective. I was influenced by Congress. They sometimes didn't have the same culture. I was influenced by you know, uh, the chief of staff of the army and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs who were outside of my chain of command. So I had all these bosses, but for the most part, we were all heading in the same direction. And other than the Congress trying to take money away from me and take away my resources, we knew we were, we were doing the same thing. Now there were frustrations every day, don't get me wrong. But when you're talking about physicians in healthcare, you have people who influence the way you serve that patient that you were talking about earlier. Uh, you have insurance companies, you have government regulations, you have different elements of care, you have the uncertainties of of things. You have hospital administrators that you sometimes don't trust because you think they're heading in a different direction and they are not as focused, and I'll say this publicly, on patient care as the physician are. They are in an ancillary way because they run their organization, but they're actually focused more on making their organization run. Uh, So you have to understand all those people who influence the way you do your job of caring for the patient. And you have to, I don't want to use this word, but I'm going to have to, you have to m- manipulate to a degree or That's influence fair. to a degree the way people contribute to your care for the patient. But, uh, but here's the other piece of this. As the subject matter expert of healthcare, doctors sometimes don't get involved. In how that manipulation or that influencing takes place. And that's why leadership in physicians are, is so critical because you have to be, as the foot soldier in the profession of medicine, the person who's on the front line who understands patient health the best. You have to again <laughs> revert back to your character and say, what's right? And how do I help other people understand what's right? You know, I, okay, one more hurtling story. When I first came to the Pentagon uh, and became a member oh, of the Pentagon. I love Joint stories Staff, to
0: start with when I first came to the Pentagon. I'm ready for this.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was a brigadier general. First time I had ever been to the Pentagon. Most of my career had been spent in the field. Uh, Working with soldiers, working with people in the dirt and in the mud and things like that. When I went to the Pentagon, I had to deal with the National Security Council, the Congress of the United States, elected officials and and people who were appointed over me that were civilians that didn't understand the dirt and the mud and the grime the way I did. I got some very good advice from a civilian who said, hey, you're very good at leading troops. But what you have to do now in order to move into this strategic phase of your life is you have to help other people understand what it's like to lead troops. And that's a whole lot tougher than leading troops. And I thought about that for a very long time. And I said, you know, that person is exactly right. In in order to really help my organization, the military, I had to persuade congressmen to understand my organization, the army. I had to understand. I had to help the secretary of defense know what was going on in terms of training and war plans. Related to that is the physician. The physician has to understand, has to help the administrator understand, has to help the, you know, the pharmaceutical rep. And the, you can't let people influence you to the way that they want you to go. You have to keep in mind that that very solemn bow to defend the patient and help other people understand what goes into that that's why i say it's harder because you have more people you have to influence than i ever did
0: that defines exactly the phase that i think physicians are in terms of public discourse yeah and helping people to understand we didn't that that work has not been done but i think that having the power of social media platforms having the power of podcasts and things like that and physicians very very slowly awakening to the fact that they need to be a presence on social media and they need to be a presence with their writing and with their words. Mm -hmm. That is happening. I am gratified that somebody who has the experience that you have, and and I don't mean that as far as the fact that you were a a, a three-star general, but that your leadership experience was informed by exactly that sort of advice. You know this stuff really well, and we trust you to execute on that but we need you to bring that into a different sphere now and he, let's help you build the skills to do that. I'm glad yeah. that you're now translating that for the physician and the healthcare community because that's exactly where we are. Well, one more
1: one and here's the most important part of that because doctors, I my view of doctors you, you are all godlike creatures as far as I'm concerned because you cure people sick people and you fix people who are dying. But and that's the way you're made to think, too. You have to to consider yourself godlike to do the things that you do. Uh, but that can cause problems at the same time. You know, uh, uh, another story from this time from our class, our physician leader class, the very first one we had, we were talking about this and talking about interacting how physicians could better interact with administrators. And one of the doctors in the class said, slammed his fist on the table and he said, damn it. Don't these administrators know that we have the answers? If they just talk to us, we tell them how to do this stuff. (laughs) And one of the nurses, one of the older, more mature nurses across the room said, Dr. Smith, not his real name, Dr. Smith, you know, the administrators know you're smart, but in your case, you're just an asshole. So they're not going to listen to you. And she hit the nail right on the head. And of course, everybody kind of backed up a little bit and said, holy smokes, this is about to throw down, but it didn't because one of the other physicians in the room said, yeah, and called him by his first name. You are kind of an asshole and nobody listens to you in the doctor world either. So in order to be a leader and to influence those other people, you have to learn the leadership skills of influence. And that doesn't mean that you can always get your way. It's building consensus and getting wins when you can.
0: And I, I hope I didn't offend anybody by that, but, but that no, was no. A- This is one of those places where I have to remind people that these shows are not scripted. And Mark, <laughs> that is the most perfect segue to what we're going to do the next time you come on, which is dealing with that disruptive behavior. And yeah. people recognizing the things they can do to make sure as they're on this journey of learning how to be heard and to exert influence on this work and the things they can do that will demolish it. It's like Mary Brandt said, don't be a wimp but don't be rude. Don't be an asshole. No one will listen to you. Don't try to be a bully. Don't be the guy that bangs on the table. Don't do that because once the disruptive behavior starts, it's not about the issue at hand. It's about the disruptive behavior and that's it. And and then you, and then you as an individual, you're no longer a leader. You're just white noise. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, you're you're coming back. We're 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 gonna book it <laughs> because we're not done. And I I know that your 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 study, your research project that earned you your doctorate, and congratulations again, is not that you. you're still re- you're amending it. I haven't had a chance to read it yet because I know it's not quite ready for for prime time in terms of publication. But we're gonna unpack it. You laid out a lot of what you found, and like I said, there's a lot to unpack in there. So yeah. so we we've got some work yet to do. This is a total treat. The, the fact that you take time out to come and share what you've learned and to learn alongside all of us is, is really affirming. And I'm grateful to you and I love it. And I just, I'm already looking forward to the next conversation. So thank you so much, Mark.
1: You got it, Mark. And it's a it's a pleasure and I'm happy to be a part of all of this if we can make a difference. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to Mark at ExploreTheSpaceShow.com.